Our Heavenly Father, thank you <coughs> for the opportunity to study and uh, also to understand uh, your word for our time. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you in advance for uh, helping us to have the same vision as you have of ourself and uh, of our world and to understand well your plan. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> the third presentation about the, uh, the book of Revelation chapter 18 verse 1 to 4 in general it was my duty my assignment I would like to start with the, an illustration from France I don't know if you speak French or you understand probably French there is a title of a book called Sorte de Babylon. Babylon, everybody understand Babylon. Sorte, which means come out of Babylon. I was in charge of a youth camp uh, for nine years. It was, it was music youth camp, and we prepared seven to ten concerts during three weeks. And it was a nice opportunity for us to have uh, good presentations and uh, good concert. And then uh, it was followed by, by the, um, the presentations about health, uh, Bible, end time events, and so on. And uh, during one of my presentation, I I drove my car with 17 young people. They were um, in the car or in front of me or on the roof or behind. We were 17 because we were um, in a small village and we had to uh, drive 15 kilometers. And it was a small road and we did it very very uh, slowly at the end when I came to the big uh, city my uh, car broke I had problems and then uh, we were 17 going out of the of the car and the lady who was there she, she said it's not possible what they are doing here they are crazy they are 17 in one car and I asked her could you please help me to find a solution a good garage to repair my car and then we started to talk and she said to me I see that you have the same t-shirts what are you doing here I said to her we have a concert this evening and this is how we started and she asked me um, about my church and I said Seventh-day Adventist Church and she said the best experience about my faith was about Seventh-day Adventist Church and I was so glad you can imagine if you meet someone 
who had a bad experience with the Seventh-day Adventists, then it is really harder for yourself. But if someone said the best experience that I had uh, was with the Seventh-day Adventist Church, it was very positive for me. And then she started, she said, I did probably around uh, 30 Bible studies. But uh, in last five years, I, I was alone and we don't have the church very close here. But I am not Seventh-day Adventist. I am Seventh-day Adventist friend. When I come this evening to your concert, I will give you a book. And I would like you to give me your opinion about the book. So she gave me this book. This is her book. This is not a Seventh-day Adventist book. Uh, the title is, as I said to you, uh, Come Out of Babylon. And this is how I understood a little bit better uh, Revelation chapter 13, 14, and 18, specifically. And she said to me, this is the book about the history of the Protestant church uh, in our area, on, how to say, very close to Valence and Grenoble, two cities in southern part of the France. And during uh, the night of Saint Barthélemy, so many Protestants were killed. And someone did the history of the night of Saint Barthélemy, and he presented in a wonderful way, I can say that it is a very honest representation of all events during that time. And she said to me, do you agree with the concept of Babylon in this book? And I can say that it is something that surprised me first. The idea of the Pierre Bertou is that everywhere where you worship and you have someone who doesn't want to give you the freedom to worship, he is the part of Babylon for him. This is their interpretation. And I understand them. They said, in France we lived as Protestant and we had no problem to worship God. And suddenly a new king came and now we are in trouble. France, therefore, is for us Babylon. We will leave France to go to Switzerland, to Holland, and then United States of America. What is really nice in this book is something that I never thought before, uh, even though it is in the Bible and in the spirit of prophecy. And the idea is the following idea. Babylon is everywhere. And it could be only in your mind, in your heart, everywhere. Because we are always looking for Babylon somewhere. <laughs> and we forget that Babylon can be even in our heart. And when I started to read this book, and this is how they understood that if 
you're worshiping God in United States or in Canada and someone is starting to persecute you, they say, go somewhere else and continue to worship God in a country of freedom. This was their concept. But then I understood something more about myself. How can I do my best to fulfill the mission of God? First, I have to take care of myself. And to have nothing in connection with Babylon. So it is not only Babylon is um, a church, a fallen church, or Babylon is... Um, this is what I saw. I had uh, the uh, Orthodox friends, and they came from Russia, and we had Bible studies together. And they said to me, Rome is so far. We have nothing, no connections with them. How can we apply the book of Revelation to our life? And then I, then I understood we needed to be more practical. Yes, everything that we say about the prophecy is right. And I would like to underline the importance of understanding rightly the prophecies. But in addition to all understanding about others, we need to add something about ourselves. Be careful. Babylon can find place in your heart. Babylon can be very close to you. And this is what I learned from a book that I received. And I was so glad to continue the Bible studies with this lady for several years. She is now a Seventh-day Adventist. She understood well. But she was not baptized by me. So I would like to suggest you, if you want to be prepared well uh, to accomplish, to fulfill God's mission for you about uh, Revelation chapter 18, which is wonderful, don't forget to start with yourself to eliminate everything related to Babylon from your own life. This is the first aspect. Then help your community, your church, to eliminate, eliminate Babylon from your church collectively. Then help the fulfillment of God's mission for your city, for your country, everywhere you are. Do the evangelism. And before entering in all these aspects, I would like to tell you, this is always God's work. Don't work alone. If you want to work to eliminate Babylon from your life, you are not powerful enough. You need God's grace. And if you work with God's grace, then it will be perfect, even for, for your church or by doing evangelism. I'm going a little bit quickly because I said so many things during the first two presentations. But I would like to apply to Revelation chapter 18 some principles from Christian ethics. I studied for a long time Christian ethics and I find that we don't explain enough 
the importance of God's commandments. And I am not promoting legalism. I am promoting the quality of God's project for the universe, the entire universe, and even for, not for our planet. So my concept is that you have a territory, if you want, um, yeah, territory is good, territory of Ten Commandments. This is the frame. Everything outside of Ten Commandments is Babylon. For example, when you say, do not kill, you can kill someone, but you will be in a big trouble sooner or later. You can lie, you can commit adultery, or you can do whatever you want. When you are outside of the territory of Ten Commandments, then you are in trouble. It is only the territory of Ten Commandments giving you peace, giving you freedom. And I will try to explain to you in order to help you to understand the meaning of what I'm telling you. This is something very easy to understand. Imagine that each point is one tree in the Garden of Eden. Imagine. So we don't know how many trees we have in the Garden of Eden. It is not important. But imagine right now. There are two options that God says you can eat. This is permission. Allowing something. Or he can say you cannot eat. It's not allowed. No freedom to eat. Tell me, what do you think? Imagine all these trees. Where do you have more freedom? When God says you can eat or when God says you cannot eat? Where is more freedom? Sorry? You can eat. The problem is that if God says to you, this is the tree that you can eat of, is not explaining you about the next tree, or the next tree, or the next tree. So, which means, when God says, you cannot eat, for example, say, this one, you cannot eat, automatically, it is understood that all other trees are free. You can eat them. So, from them. You can use the fruits of that tree. Which means, in general, for the ethics, God said, this is forbidden to you. And all other things are allowed. Specialists of Christian ethics will tell you there is more freedom in one prohibition than in 1,000 permission. Our God is God of freedom. If someone is telling you, you cannot eat of this tree, 
there is more freedom in his statement than when he says, you can eat from this tree. Because the permission is limited. Uh, how to say, prohibition is more opening doors. This is how God can say only 10 prohibition. And he can establish the territory of freedom. Only with 10. Only with 10. I remember that I was uh, in Strasbourg in a big library, uh, public university library, or something like this. And we entered in a big uh, hall. Uh, it was legal department of the library. And in this legal department, it was something like, uh, if you know College Park Church, it was the same size. And the guide explained to us, we are right now in a legal department of our library. All books that you see here are books about existing laws in France, existing laws. Which means that a lawyer, if he is not very sure how to understand a law, he will come there and all books there are available, thousand and thousand and thousand of books, only about existing laws. And I say God was wonderful. He said only 10 things <laughs> that you can remember all the time. And it covers everything, all the freedom. So, for me, always, there is more freedom in one prohibition than in thousand permission. This is why I understand, as I said before, here, there is a territory of God's commandment. And this territory is a territory of freedom. If you say, for me, to keep God's commandment, it is not something all difficult to do. We are talking about freedom. We are talking about building something uh, meaningful. And when you say, you know, three characteristics of the remnant church, keep God's commandment. Uh, what was the next, next one? Faith in Jesus. And the third one, testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. All these three elements are related to God himself. All three elements. Do you remember? God's commandment, God the Father. Faith in Jesus, or of Jesus, I don't know. Um, God the Son. Testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. God the Holy Spirit. All characteristics of the church are the characteristics of God. I don't see that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has something else to suggest, to share with the world, if not God himself. This is our message. And when I say, keep God's commandment, for me it means build the freedom. Because outside of the territory of God's commandment, there is no freedom. So it is very clear that the message of 
um, three angels, three angels message and the message of the chapter 18 is the message of freedom. But when I say the territory of uh, Ten Commandments, I would like to help you to understand that you can, you have to be very careful because when you say Ten Commandments and freedom, it could become very soon and very often uh, slavery. The proof, just spend a little bit of time with Jewish people. I spent four years for my studies and almost every Friday evening I was in their synagogue just for my curiosity. I wanted to know them better. And I understood, for example, it was in Strasbourg, they had 12 rabbis. And I remember they have so many laws, so many um, things to obey, to observe, that it was almost difficult for me to understand. But I understood that it was only a burden from my perspective. I was sitting uh, next to a rabbi and I was listening to him talking with another elder of the, of the synagogue. And they knew exactly all the procedures, all the program of the beginning of the Sabbath. And I remember that every two or three verses they had to say something. Uh, for example, praise the Lord because his, uh, his um, righteousness is uh, um, great. And uh, after that it was a soloist singing and two or three verses after you had again praise the Lord. Everybody had to say it. And I was there listening to what they are discussing together and the rabbi was talking about the market in the, in the city and when his time came to say praise the Lord for his righteousness is great, something similar and uh, he was there talking about the market and as he knew perfectly well the, the program, uh, when his turn came, he said praise the Lord with all other uh, with all other members of that synagogue. And then he continued again to talk about the market. And I understood that it was only ritual, formality. It was nothing coming from the heart. It was for me only a burden. This is why I would like to say it, this was, it was Jesus' um, uh, concern. He wanted to separate the spirit of the law with the letter of the law. Let me illustrate this with, with, uh, with what uh, Augustine said, the church father Augustine, he said, the command to live in chastity and righteousness is the letter that kills unless accompanied with the spirit that gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. And I agree with him. 
you can say, keep the Sabbath holy, and it can, it can become, it can become uh, something so difficult to live and to accept. It can become a burden, as it was the case at the time of, um, of Jesus himself. Let me share with you how I see the difference between the letter and the spirit of the law. Just, we will go through the commandments. First commandment, no other gods. This is prohibition. No other gods. If you want to understand the spirit of the law, you need to understand what is the value behind and the value behind, if you have a prohibition, is in general in the opposite of the prohibition. For example, the value behind is attachment. And you have the example of uh, the Apostle Paul explaining, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus, uh, through whom are all things and through whom we live. So there is no other God by, but one, and through him we Leave. So when I look at the text itself, I understand that if you say, I don't have other gods, it's not enough for you to say, I obey to the commandment. No other gods is a minimum. But you are not yet a part of the remnant church. The remnant church is obeying to God's commandment, keeping God's commandment. In order to keep God's commandment, it's never enough to obey to the letter of the law. It's so important to understand the spirit of the law, which means the value which is behind. And the value behind is be attached to one God, not be uh, among those who will not accept other gods. This is the minimum. But when you are not attached to other gods, then you need to be attached to one God. So this is the first aspect. The second commandment is about the worship of idols. No idols. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. The value is <coughs> worship. <clears throat> and Jesus is telling us, Jesus is telling us what is the true value behind. Then Jesus said to him, to Satan, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So you see the picture. If you say, I don't have idols, it's not enough. This is a minimum of service. Nobody will congratulate you because you have no idols. Uh, how to say, 
the right understanding of the second commandment is when you worship the true God. This is the value behind the second commandment. The third commandment is about you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And what is the value behind? Psalm 9 verse 10, and that they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. And when I was in Yugoslavia, I was born in Yugoslavia, I remember that this particular commandment was so hard for so many people because in our language, almost every second sentence is uh, with the name of God and in a wrong way, negative way. And uh, I remember so many people, uh, we studied together the Bible, they said, every commandment, every one is easy, but the third one is so hard. Because in our culture, we are always using these uh, this, uh, bad sentences against God himself. But it is not enough, even if you, your vocabulary is perfect. You are not obeying to the third commandment. If you want to obey God's commandment, then you will understand that those who know thy name, the true name, in a right way, they will immediately put their trust in thee. Knowing God's name means knowing his character. Knowing God's name means I am a friend with him. And I experienced in my past already everything that he did for me. So I am, I am um, ready to put my trust in him. So behind the story, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is a minimum. This is the frame. But if you want really to understand and to live according to the commandment, you have to go a little bit more further. You have to trust uh, your God because you know his name. The fourth commandment, you shall do no work on Sabbath day. It is very nice. You have so many people doing nothing during the Sabbath day. Some of my neighbors, they need that sometimes I turn lights on for them or turn off during the Sabbath day for them. Because they think that it is the right way of obeying to the commandments. But this is a minimum. I am not working on the Sabbath day. This is only the frame. But not working on Sabbath day will not save you. It's not enough. This is, a, this is the letter of the law. The spirit of the law is when you find pleasure, delight in the Lord. This is Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 58. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him. So you understand that keeping the fourth commandment is more about value behind, which means... To understand the Sabbath day as a day of pleasure. Which means that you enjoy the Sabbath day. 
This is for me important. So, do you remember the territory of Ten Commandments? When, when God says, come out of Babylon, it's like telling everybody, please come on the territory of Ten Commandments. And then, when you are on this territory, if you understand the true values, you will enjoy your freedom and you will live there with a pleasure and uh, you will fulfill the meaning of your life. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Value, it's not only, oh, my father said something, I have to obey. This is the minimum. This is the not worthy of God himself. In order to understand the true meaning, you have to go behind it to find the value. Mutual admiration. I give two texts showing that the children are the crown of old men. So parents enjoy the presence of their, their children. The second text, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begged a wise child will delight in, in him. So you have here, for example, and the glory of children is their father. When you obey the fifth commandment, children will enjoy, and parents will enjoy children. Which means this commandment exists to help us to build a strong relationship between generations. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. In general, we say that it is the most important commandment. Value behind, behind is not only do not kill, but protect the life. Do you know that in, uh, in uh, Jewish tradition, they have... Uh, a desire to discuss about so many things, even more than Seventh-day Adventists. I know that Seventh-day Adventists like discussions, but Jews, they like even more, <laughs> even more. Everything in all details, in all details. And I remember they said the greatest commandment, someone said the greatest commandment is the sixth commandment. She said, he said. And I was listening to what they said and there are some uh, interesting things. For example, for them, they say you have two greatest commandments in the law, one for the left side and one for the right side. For example, I, I understand that it is so because they look at the letter of the law and not at the spirit of the law. They say, I prefer to have as neighbor someone who is not respecting, obeying to the 10th commandment than to the 6th commandment. Do you agree with me? I, I'm telling again. He said, I prefer to be the neighbor of someone who is not respecting the 10th commandment than the 6th commandment. And he said, there is chronology and this is, this is, they are different levels. Killing someone, you cannot repair it. Someone lost his life. Then committing adultery, it's a little bit less. 
but you are destroying the family. You are destroying the relationship. But they are not killed. They are still there. And then you go further and you say, um, stealing. It's a little bit less. And when you say uh, lying, okay, we don't, lie. we don't like when someone is lying to us. But uh, the question is, it's not so huge as killing someone. At the end, the Ten Commandments is happening in the mind. And the mind, if he wants to, do not covet. Do not desire what your neighbor has. This is his problem. What's happened is in his mind is his problem. But they don't know the truth revealed in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ put all commandments on the same level. Because he said, yes, Ten Commandments is happening in your mind. But all commandments first are in your mind. Then you have to understand, it's not only the Ten Commandments uh, without consequences. You know, you say, it is in my mind, uh, I can do whatever I want inside. All commandments are in our mind and with consequences. This is why Jesus said, do not kill even if you think wrongly about your neighbor. In your mind, you are not obeying to the law. And he put all commandments on the same level of the level of, um, how to say, of understanding the law first as the state of mind. If your mind is within the frame or territory of Ten Commandments, then you will, you will um, understand the values and you will live a um, good life. So the, when you say you shall not murder, this is a minimum, you will not kill someone. But there is a value of protection, even of sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Not only I will not kill someone, but I will, for example, I will not kill you, I will not destroy you, but from my perspective, I will think really seriously how to make sacrifices for you in order to make your life better. This is the true meaning of the commandment. The minimum is, I will not kill you. But it is not enjoying the commandment. The true meaning of the commandment is when I am doing sacrifices for you. The seventh commandment is about adultery. And you know the text very known from, from the book of Proverbs, value behind this sacrificial love for the spouse. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. It is not only don't touch other women. It's not the story. <laughs> this is a minimum. If you accomplish this, you can think that humanly is probably an achievement, but it is nothing. In fact, God would like, when you are on the territory of Ten Commandments, 
really to enjoy your relationship with your wife. He gave you your spouse to enjoy life, to accomplish his will, his mission. This is why he said, rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving dear and a graceful doll. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Enjoy. And this is more than you shall not commit adultery. Eighth commandment <coughs> is about stealing. And uh, as I told you, the values in general, when you have um, prohibition, the value is always contrary to the prohibition. If you say, do not steal, the value is generosity. And I will give you the testimony of someone who enjoyed to steal <laughs> money. His name is Zacchaeus. You know Zacchaeus? He said himself, when he met Jesus, after being born again, he said, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my good to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. It's not only, oh, your car, car is so nice. I cannot imagine uh, that she can enjoy the car and I am without the car. So I will steal the car. And I will do everything to have exactly what she has. No, this is not the concept. And when I am okay, I didn't steal her car, I am okay. It is more having the value of generosity. I give half of my good to the poor. Calvin and his disciples said something so nice. His interpretation of Matthew chapter 25, the parable of talents, is remarkable. He says, earn everything that you can earn, but honestly. Earn everything that you can earn, but honestly. And then save everything that you can save in order to give everything that you can give. This is the parable of talents. So I'm going again. If you want to understand the concept of God and the generosity, it's the concept of Calvin. Earn everything that you can earn, but honestly. And this is the difference between um, those who are Calvinists and those who are not. But I understand that it is completely right. Earn everything that you can, but honestly. And save everything that you can save in order to give everything that you can give. This is the concept of generosity. And this is the concept of generosity behind the Eighth Commandment. Eighth Commandment defining what is the territory of freedom, of peace, and of true love. Ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Value behind is not only I will not lie, but I will rejoice in truth. You see that it is completely different. I will rejoice in truth. 
It's even more. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So I'm not only happy about myself when I was honest not to tell something wrong, but I am happy with myself when through God's grace I, I was able to rejoicing in the truth, to share the truth, to, to help others to understand the truth. The Ten Commandments, you shall not covet. And the value is sharing. Now the multitude of those who believed were, were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Acts 4, 32. The idea is not, oh, I would, I would like to have Blackberry as she has. <laughs> this is not a, the, the main idea is not uh, to possess the same things, but to think, what is your need? How can I, con what is your need? The need of my neighbor. This is the, the first church, first apostolic church. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Which means, instead of only desiring to have what the others have, I'm, I... I am uh, with a desire to share, to give more. And this is the true, true, uh, true value. So you understand, if we are more attached to the spirit of the law and not the, not the letter of the law, then we can be on the territory of Ten Commandments and leave it as the territory of freedom, of peace and of love. Right now, when I, when I tell you, you remember, come out of Babylon, which means come to the territory of Ten Commandments. This is the true freedom. When you say come out, going through the quotations of Ellen White, I found so many interesting texts that I would like to remind everybody, if you forgot, First, the call to come out, the loud cry is, I have 10 quotations very quickly. It is the same message, the same gospel, the same Seventh-day Adventist mentality, identity, and everything that we did until now. We don't need to wait for a new message. The remnant people of God must be a converted people. It is almost normal. But so many times we, are, we, we forget this reality. The presentation of this message is to result in the conversion and sanctification of souls. We are to feel the power of the Spirit of God in this movement. This is a wonderful, definite message. So it is not something coming in the future that we will discover, but it is the same message. 
It means everything to the receiver and it is to be proclaimed with a loud cry. We, have, we must have a true abiding faith that this message will go forth with increasing importance till the close of time. And the Ellen White explained, well, our three angel messages will grow in power until it becomes the loud cry. So there is so many discussion about this, but it is very interesting to know. We don't need to wait for a new message because our message is not good enough. And when suddenly we discover something new, then people will will agree and will accept. No, this is the wonderful, definite, definite message. It means that it will be proclaimed with a loud cry. The second aspect is probably the most important. No need for false excitement. I did so many presentations about the worship and music. And as musician, I would like to suggest to you that you become very careful what is your inspiration when you come to worship God. Um, every musician can find his own inspiration. And I remember I studied 10 years uh, the the school, in the School of Music, Conservatory of Music in my country. And um, very soon I understood that uh, in this Conservatory of Music, we had uh, the use of drugs regularly. And suddenly one day police came and 70 students were arrested, 70. I remember it was a big first page <laughs> on the newspapers. And I talked with one of my friends, very good friends, and he was arrested in jail for several months. And then they gave him the opportunity to continue, to continue his studies because he was one of the best musicians that we had in Yugoslavia. And I asked him why, because he was a soloist, pianist, and an excellent performer. And I asked him, why did you accept to become addicted? And he said, at the beginning I was not interested, but very soon I discovered that I cannot present myself in front of an audience without drugs. I said, how it is possible? He said, it's not the same. I tried and I gave my best. But when I am in front of the audience with a drug, I am perfect. I am over, over. If not, I am an average musician. And so I started to go deeper and deeper. In the, and I understood that it is true. There are so many people, they need an excitement from outside. And I remember um, that it happens also in the churches. Your excitement, you can always find it somewhere. But my concept, my understanding of the biblical concept of worship, and I'm quoting Ephesians chapter 5. Probably you know this text. Do not be drunk by the wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you know this text? 
very easy text. And you are asking yourself, why it is necessary to have connection between the wine and the spirit? Then you see Acts chapter 2, it's again the story of the wine and the spirit, because Peter had to say, you know, it is too early in the morning. <laughs> we are not uh, uh, drunk, but we, we are filled with the spirit. And um, then you, you start to think, some people, in order to be excited, in order to forget the reality, they need to be excited by outside. And some people think that using their musical instrument, uh, it will be good for them to be excited by outside. In fact, the only true excitement accepted by God's himself is the excitement by the Holy Spirit, if we can say excitement. Um, when the Holy Spirit is guiding you, then you will understand that you don't need other excitement. And this is how you un understand this wonderful quotation of Ellen White. She says, I saw that God has honest children among the nominal Adventists and the fallen churches. And before the plagues shall be poured out, ministers and people will be called out from these churches and we gladly receive the truth. Satan knows this. And before the loud cry of the third angel is given, he raises an excitement in these religious bodies that those who have rejected the truth may think that God is with them. Very interesting. So the, the methodology of Satan. Excitement. External excitement. And you think that God is there because you feel by your feelings you have impression that God is working. But this is not the presence of He hopes to deceive the honest and lead them to think that God is still working for the churches. But the light will shine and all who are honest will leave the fallen churches and take their stand with the remnant. So you understand that there is no need for an external excitement. The only excitement is, as Paul said, do not be drunk by wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The only inspiration is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We don't come to the church to be inspired by the music. We come to the church to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when we come to worship God, through the Holy Spirit, in spirit and truth, then we will express our feelings through the music. The music is the consequence and not the preparation for our excitement, for our inspiration. And it is huge. This is totally different than usually we think about the worship service. The worship service is first about God. It's first about the Holy Spirit, which means God. And everything connected to the worship can be done with respect and dignity only if it comes from God himself. So to worship in spirit and truth means not false excitement. It means only 
the Holy Spirit guiding us. And then we share, we enjoy our worship service. But not, we are prepared by 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 40 minutes of music. And uh, sometimes I come to the churches and they say, Pastor, this time we have a longer song service. Could you please conclude? <laughs> and they give me five minutes or 10 minutes because they are in a rush. They don't have time for the God's word. And I'm not criticizing uh, <laughs> what I see, but the reality is that people are more interested with visible things, audible things, what they hear, than to receive the inspiration by the Holy Spirit. The true worship is God leading me. Inspiration, which means in spirit, of course. Three, individual preparation. If you want to come out, then you need the individual preparation. I saw that we as a people must make an advance move in this great work. Ministers and people must act in concert. God's people are not prepared for the loud cry of the third angel. They have a work to do for themselves, which they should not leave for God to do for them. He has left this work for them to do. It is an individual work. One cannot do it for another. When you read the Acts or chapter 3, and you will understand very clearly the message. Acts chapter 3. Um, Acts chapter 3. Um, where is Repent therefore, verse 19. Repent therefore and be converted. How do you analyze the idea of be converted? Or repent. When you study the grammar, you will understand that God can save you. That God can forgive you. That God can do everything for yourself. But you have to accept to turn yourself to him. And to give him the authorization to work in your life. He will never force you. Repentance comes as a result of God's grace, God's love, God's goodness. This is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It is God's goodness that pushes you to repent yourself. But it is reality that to be converted is the work that we need to do. To accept, to turn ourselves to God himself and to help him to allow him to do the right job, the job of salvation. Aspect number four, know yourself. In order to be fitted for translation, the people of God must know themselves. They must understand in regard to their own physical frames that they may be able with the psalmist to explain, exclaim, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
they should ever have the appetite in subjection to the moral and intellectual organs. The body should be servant to the mind and not the mind to the body. Know yourself. Those who want to be, uh, where is this? Um, well, they must understand they the people of God must know themselves. Sometimes it is the plan and project of New Age movement. Buddhists, they like this. They will tell you, know yourself, in one of the first commandments. But I am sure that the remnant message is the message for everybody, for New Age, for uh, everybody, everybody. And you will see that um, when you know yourself, then you can be prepared for the loud cry. If not, it is really hard to do it. And the message of health is one of the essential messages of, of those of the remnant church. Sometimes others understand even better the importance of our message than ourselves. And uh, sometimes I have to confess to my God that I know so many things, but it doesn't fit with what I'm living every day. And I need to repent regularly, especially on this level. And then I have to, to finish my presentation. <laughs> and I will continue with the same for the last part, uh, I think that if you understand that coming out from Babylon means to come on the territory of God's will, wherever the place is, you can be in France, in Canada, in Rome, you can be uh, uh, alone or within a part of a group. If you know that your territory, when you come out of Babylon, is the territory of Ten Commandments, then you will understand that you will enjoy to leave the confusion and to leave the true values, giving you freedom, giving you peace, and giving you love. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.